Well, I'm going to open up in a prayer, even with the recording. I pray that it records well, I guess. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the chance to be together tonight, even though we are not together. Uh, we thank you that we are united in spirit, even when we're apart, God, that our time, um, even though we may not be here tonight uh, in church, we are just grateful for our time to reflect on you and think about you and all that you accomplished uh, in your son. And so tonight, as we think about the the Christmas story, we think about the reality of that story and um, who Jesus was, who he is. God, I just pray that you'd be with us tonight. Lord, would you give me the words to speak as we go through this passage, as we think about Luke chapter 2. Lord, we love you, and we're so grateful you're here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Wellspring Church, I'm uh, sorry that we are not together tonight. The snow kind of ruined that plan, um, but I'm happy to be able to record this and uh, hope you get a chance to listen to it. Uh, we're going to go through Luke chapter 2. Kind of strange that this is uh, my last sermon for a bit until February, uh, but I'm glad I, I get the chance to share it with you um, because I love, I love the, the gospel of Luke. It's a great, great book, and I'm just excited to read through this passage and um, maybe as traditional as I get in, in this week because we're actually going to read the birth story on Christmas, which is novel. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna try and do it. I was thinking that the Lord maybe doesn't ever want me to preach a traditional sermon on one of the high holy days because I had my Easter on John four, my Easter on the genealogies from Genesis, and now we're here on Christmas. And of course, our service got canceled because of the snow. So um, I'm gonna try and keep it close, but uh, I'm actually gonna focus in on uh, the story of Simeon in Luke two, where we have the presentation of Jesus at the temple. Uh, but I'm going to read uh, the first part of the chapter so that we can get our heads into that space and hear the story of Jesus' birth from the Gospel of Luke. So here we are, <clears throat> verse 1 of Luke chapter 2. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, 
Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that which has happened, uh, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Now, usually that's kind of where we stop with the Christmas story. We we think about the birth. We think about this this great scene that we all have in our heads that we've seen so many times, that we've seen in porcelain, in nativities. We've seen it played out in movies, and we, we just have this very iconic image of that story of Jesus not finding room, right? His parents having no place for him and then having to go into the stable and, and lay him in the manger and... And then the shepherds hearing this this great news from the Lord, from an angel of the Lord, and then going to see him. All these images very uh, vivid in our imaginations. And of course, that's specifically related to the birth of Christ, that those first moments. Um, but Luke actually continues. And Luke goes on uh, from that period of him being a, a really young, just infant. And it goes up, of course, till... Eight days old for him. And, and of course, for us, we don't really think anything about that. Eight days doesn't mean anything to us. But for the Jewish people, eight days was very significant because, of course, the eighth day was the day on which a, a male child would be circumcised. And it was very significant, right? This is the sign of their covenant, the sign of their law. And so Luke actually continues to tell that story. We kind of just stop there with the Christmas story. We, we have these images. We... We've got our own understanding, and, and we just see it kind of ending in that moment. But actually, Luke has more to say. This is still Luke 2. This is verse 21 now. And it goes on and says this, When eight days had passed before his circumcision, it was then that his name was called Yeshua, Jesus. Right In, in Greek, the word for Jesus is Iesus which is just the Greek translation of the name Joshua, Yehoshua in Hebrew. And it's interesting because if you read, in, in, for example, in Hebrews 4, you'll see Iesus come up. It actually is referring to Joshua. It's the same name. Iesus means Joshua. So when you look at Hebrews 4 and he's talking about Joshua entering the land and conquering it, it says Iesus, Jesus. But the name Yehoshua means Yahweh saves, and as time went on, it, it took a diminutive form, a, a you know, a shortened form, which was Yeshua. And Yeshua is actually the Hebrew word for salvation. To Jesus' name, Yeshua, it just means salvation or Yahweh saves. And that's key. That's key to what's about to be said because uh, the author, Luke, as he's writing, is going to make some um, some statements that kind of play off the name of Jesus. And so here we have Jesus. At the eighth day when he's going to be circumcised, it's then he receives this name, Yeshua, 
salvation. And that was the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Right? So this is very significant. We tend to, to have excised this part of the Christmas story, but it's very significant because, of course, what is Jesus? He's the firstborn son. Right? This is the firstborn son of Mary. And so he is holy to the Lord. And this is significant since the days of the Exodus. Remember, we just finished the book of Genesis. And, and of course, it was with the concept of Isaac coming into being that circumcision was, was promised. And then in the Exodus, circumcision became very important. It became a specific part of the law that they would circumcise their firstborn, uh, circumcise all the males, but specifically that the firstborn son would be presented to the Lord. Why? Well, because the Lord had sanctified them. He'd set them apart for himself because of, of the Passover, right? And in the Passover, you think about this, what's the connection there? Well, the Passover, remember, cost every Egyptian. It said from the king to the lowest of them, even the animals lost their firstborn son, right? Their, their, their heir, their male heir died. And so when the Lord takes the people of Israel out into the wilderness, he says, all your firstborn are mine. They will be mine. They will be holy to me. They will be uh, sanctified, set apart for me. And of course, so they, as this is Mary's firstborn son, and of course, Joseph's too as well. It's not obviously um, physically his firstborn son, but he is his father, his earthly father. And so they go to Jerusalem to present him. And it goes on as they present him. It says this. This is verse 23. Uh, they went up, brought him up to the temple to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And they went up to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, this is a quote also from Leviticus. In Leviticus 12, we see this uh, quote come up actually in both Leviticus 5 and Leviticus 12. But in Leviticus 12, the pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons is telling us something about Joseph and, and Mary's living condition. And so when the days of purification were completed, and who's being purified? Well, this is Mary being proclaimed clean, right? If you read the book of Leviticus, which, let's be honest, most people don't very often. Um, if you read the book of Leviticus, one significant thing is that when a woman has a child, uh, there's a lot of blood involved. And, of course, blood, which was the life, uh, there was a defiling piece to that. And so she had to be cleansed. And so what ends up happening is that, of course, she's had this child. She's completed her days to be cleansed. And then she has to go be proclaimed ritually clean in Jerusalem. And so she has to go offer a sacrifice. And, of course, the standard sacrifice that was offered is a lamb. And yet here it talks about a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Why is it talking about something other than a lamb, which was the standard sacrifice. Well, if you read Leviticus 12, what it says is that those who cannot afford a lamb 
could offer turtle doves or two young pigeons. And that's the quote right here in Luke 2, verse 24. So what we're learning about Joseph and Mary is that they're poor. They are not a well-off family. They don't have a lot of money. They can't afford to buy a lamb for the sacrifice for her purification. So they they buy the 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 poor man's option, right? They buy two pigeons to sacrifice so that she can be pronounced ritually clean before God. But while they're there, they're there doing this. And it says this, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. He was looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was... He was hoping that Israel's comfort would come to pass. Right? That's the point of what's saying about Simeon is that he is a man who is longing to be the people that God had called him, uh, his nation to be, right? Israel, of course, was the chosen people. They were a holy nation, a royal priesthood before God. And what ended up happening, of course, is you had them sin and, and turn from their God and and start to worship other gods and and have all kinds of idolatry. And, of course, they were driven into exile. And now they've been in exile this whole time under Babylon, under Persia, under Greece, and now, of course, in this day, under Rome. And he's looking for the consolation. He's looking for the freedom from from oppression, that they would be brought back into their land and, and it would be theirs, right? The answer of the promises. And it says he was in the temple and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And this is this this passage is always crazy to me because it's just it's hard to imagine having the weight of this revelation. It's hard to imagine that God revealed this to this man, but it says this it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So the Holy Spirit has promised Simeon that he is going to see the Messiah. And he's an old man. He's an old man. He's probably close to death. You know, he could die anytime relatively soon. And he's got this promise hanging over him. And he's probably been waiting for it for many years. And I'm sure each day he wondered, when am I going to see the Messiah? When is this going to happen? Is it going to happen? Maybe maybe I just misheard. Maybe this wasn't meant for me. It says this, He came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents, this is Mary and Joseph, brought in the child, Yeshua, Jesus, to carry out for him the custom of the law, meaning to circumcise him, Simeon took Jesus into his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your Yeshua, <laughs> seen your salvation, seen your Jesus, <laughs> which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And of course, 
this passage is only recorded in Luke, which may seem odd, but Luke has a very specific reason why it's so significant to him. And of course, if you know the Gospel of Luke, if you've read it, and of course, uh, the companion piece is Acts, right? Luke and Acts, both written by Luke. Uh, what's so significant about about Luke, of course, is that he is a Gentile, right? He's not a Jew. And so he is a Gentile writing. And one of the things that is key to Luke is that he wants to to say that this is not an anomaly. This is not something that was just happenstance that, that God would offer salvation to the Gentiles. It actually was a plan. It was the plan that there would be a light of revelation, like here Simeon says, that they would have the chance to respond to, to the God of Israel and be saved. So for, for Luke, the fact that this elderly Jewish man, even at Jesus' birth, when he's just hardly a week old, would say, you've prepared your salvation in the presence of all peoples, and he's going to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. That's significant for Luke. And of course, for the vast majority of Christians today, that's highly significant, because most of us are Gentiles. You know, if you read the rest of the New Testament, it's very clear that this is a Jewish Savior. This is a Jewish Messiah. For those of us who are Gentiles, we've been given a grace to be accepted into the people of God, to be part of the family. And Luke wants to make it clear that that was not, that was not just an accident. That, that, this was actually the plan of God all along. And so here is Simeon. He's saying... I'm free, finally, I'm free to die in peace because I got to see your Yeshua, your salvation, your Jesus. This Jesus, this salvation that you prepared in the presence of not just the nation of Israel, but all peoples. And he is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. See, Simeon, when Simeon's talking about this, he's been reading Isaiah. This is not just something he's spitballing, like, oh, the Lord just made it clear out of the blue that, that this salvation is going to be offered to the Gentiles. No. Luke sees the echoes of Isaiah when, he, when Simeon quotes this. And so when you read Isaiah, of course, in the book of Isaiah... Uh, at the end of the book, there's all these great calls about the Gentiles coming, coming to salvation. So I'll read to you a part of Isaiah. I think Isaiah 49 is the best uh, best part to quote for you to, to hear this, right? He's just said, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Now that is, is not a direct quote of anywhere in Isaiah, but this concept of a light to the Gentiles or a light to the nations, that, that language shows up in Isaiah many times. I think Isaiah 49 is the best spot, so I'm going to read that to you. But here we are in Isaiah 49. Listen to what Simeon has just said. Your salvation is coming. It's the glory of Israel. It's a light to the Gentiles. And then listen to what Isaiah 49 says. Simeon's clearly just been reading the prophet. He's been reading the prophet Isaiah says this, and this is also important because this section of Isaiah, what it is, is uh, if you know anything about 
Isaiah studies. This is called a servant song, which is a unique type of passage in, in the book of Isaiah, where you have this person speaking out almost in first person. They're like they're like speaking out a speech, and they refer to themselves as the servant of the Lord. And they talk about kind of who they are and what their identity is. And of course, in the New Testament, this is going to be highly significant for Jesus' self-understanding because he is consistently going to the book of Isaiah to describe his own self-understanding, right? That's why when you go to Luke 4, what does he read out in the, in the temple? What does he quote? When he, or excuse me, in the synagogue. When he's in the synagogue and he's quoting, what does he read out there? He's reading Isaiah. He's quoting Isaiah. And that's significant because Jesus, through these passages, like this one in Isaiah 49, these servant songs, that's how he came to understand who he was. That he was the Savior. And these songs helped explain what his identity was to the people. And of course, Christians throughout history since then have looked back to the book of Isaiah to understand Jesus in a new way to to make sense of what and who Jesus is from the Old Testament. So here I'll read read you Isaiah forty nine the first part of it. This is one of the servant songs. It says this: Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. Listen to this: The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named me. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has concealed me. And he has also made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will show my glory. But I said... I have toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord. And my reward is with my God. And now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant. For what purpose? It says to bring Jacob back to him. So that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations, so that my salvation, my Yeshua, might reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and its Holy One, to the despised one, he's talking about Israel, right? The despised one. To the one abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will see and arise, princes will also bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a favorable time I have answered you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. And I will keep you and give you for a covenant of the people to restore the land, to make them inherit the desolate heritages, saying to those who are bound, go forth, to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. 
Along the roads they will feed, and their pasture will be on all bare heights. They will not hunger or thirst, nor will the scorching heat or sun strike them down. For he who has compassion on them will lead them and will guide them to springs of water. I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways will be raised up. Behold, these will come from the from afar, and lo, these will come from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinim. Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. That's what Simeon's been reading. You can hear that there is a plan that salvation would be open to all, that the day of Yeshua, the day of salvation, would come. And so I can just imagine Simeon hands the child, after saying all of this, he hands the child back to Mary and Joseph, and it says in verse 33 of Luke 2, and his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Can you imagine that? You have a child. I mean, we, we think about the shepherds, and of course we think about the magi, with these, these stories from Matthew and Luke that we see, and we think about those things happening. But this is just stacked thing upon thing upon thing. Imagine for Joseph and Mary what it would be like to have this newborn child, and out of the woodworks, everyone is coming to say the most glorious things about your baby, who is at this point, accomplished nothing, right? This is a baby. It's like your baby has the grandest future possible. Everything that that the Lord has promised, it's going to come to pass in this child. And it says, you know, earlier in the in the chapter, it said what? Mary treasured all these things in her heart. I wasn't going to say this originally. I was just thinking about it now as I'm uh, as I'm talking. But think about the disconnect that would feel from hearing these things at his birth and then watching him be crucified. Imagine what you would think. Like, did all those things were they all just dreams? Like, were they all just nice words or something? Like, imagine how dichotomous that must be as an experience. This is the man. This is the Messiah. This is the day of salvation for all peoples. And then you're watching him nailed to a cross as his mother. It's easy to see why it looks like the promises have failed once Jesus is crucified. You know, we tend to give the disciples guff for not understanding. We tend to, how could they not get it? But think about that. Think about what it would actually be like to watch this man that you've followed for all these years, who's told you, I'm the king. I am the one. I'm the Messiah. I'm here for this purpose. And and then watch him get murdered. It looks like everything's lost. And everyone, his own mother can point back to the day that he was born and say, no, these things were promised about him. 
and he's a young he's a young man when he's killed. So Simeon hands him back and and it says his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them. He blessed their family. And he said to Mary, Jesus' mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed and a sword. Remember it said there was a sharp sword in his mouth in Isaiah. And a sword, Mary, will pierce even your own soul. To the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Jesus, of him. This is talking about this child who is Yeshua, the the salvation. Continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Because they understood, Simeon and Anna, they understood that Jesus was the redemption for Israel. And again, even that language, the redemption of Israel. When we read the Gospels, if you were there, you're watching the nation who is, who has claimed to him as their Messiah murder him. In, have an incited crowd against him. Have all of this just disbelief directed towards Jesus. And yet here, at the very moment, you know, these first moments of his life, he's eight days old, and Anna is going around, Anna is going around the temple and telling anyone who's looking for the redemption of Jerusalem that, hey, I've got a child to tell you about, the one who was promised. He's here. Verse 39 of Luke 2, when they had performed everything According to the law of the Lord, this is Mary and Joseph, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. And the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So here we are at the end of this passage. And of course, the next, the next passage you'd read in Luke 2 is a big jump. Right, it goes to this only passage we have in the Bible of Jesus as a as a boy. Right, it goes to that wonderful passage about Jesus being in the temple. Right, and and he gets lost, and and then they come back and find him, and he says, "Don't you know I have to be in my father's house?" And and then you know it, it, he goes back and submits to his parents, and it says at the end that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with men. But tonight we end here. In verse 40, he continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. You know, we don't get to see much of Jesus as this infant, as as a child, and, and even less in some ways as a boy, like I just mentioned this one story next. 
But even then, the promises were upon him. In him already, already the, the, the law and the prophets were being fulfilled. Even then, his mother was completing her ritual purification and going to offer a sacrifice to be in accordance with the law. And Jesus was being circumcised on the eighth day in accordance with the law. And he was being presented to the Lord because he was to be sanctified because he was the firstborn male in accordance with the law. And then you have Simeon and Anna come up and they're saying, no, not only that, He's fulfilling the prophecies of the past. He's fulfilling Isaiah. He's the one who we've been waiting for. He is the servant of Isaiah 49. He's fulfilling the prophets and what they what they had prophesied. Even as a child, even as an infant, Jesus is fulfilling the law and fulfilling the prophets. Even before he can make a decision of his own, his parents are committed to him fulfilling the law and the prophets. And of course, Jesus is significant uh, not just in this way, where we see him in this first visitation, this first uh, moment of becoming human, when he became man. Uh, He's significant in that way. And we, we reflect on that each year around this time. Uh, but but all of you who are uh, normally a part of Wellspring, you know I'm getting ready uh, in February to go through the book of Revelation. And there's a significance to the second coming as well. And it's a unique significance. It's different than this, isn't it? Because here we read this and we think about Jesus and the day of salvation. We think about Yeshua. We think about salvation, that concept. We think about him as the light to the nations, that that in Jesus, not only, which it says explicitly, not only is he the glory of Israel, but he's a light to the nations, that we're all going to have an opportunity to respond to the light of revelation. The light of revelation in Jesus will have a chance to make a choice about him about who he is. Is he really that Messiah? Were the promises really fulfilled in him? Were the prophecies really, did they come to pass in him? Or is he just another man subjected to a brutal, torturous death under the Roman regime? Of course, for those of us who who are Christians, of course, we, we say unequivocally that Jesus has fulfilled all the law and the prophets that Every promise is summed up, as Paul says it, beautifully. (laughs) All the promises in Christ are yes and amen. Uh, But like I told you, my mind is is attuned to Revelation now because uh, I'm starting to prepare that series. I'm getting ready for it. And, um, And sadly, I won't be preaching to you for the next couple of months. Well, I prepare for that series. You know, we're we're going through this series on rest, and so I'm taking a break. I'm resting myself uh, from preaching for these next months um, until February. But like I said, Revelation's on my mind, and and I when I was reading Isaiah 49, I was reading that passage, and and we 
We read it, and it's all these beautiful salvific realities. Uh, but Isaiah 49 doesn't end where I ended. I read half the chapter about. There's more to it. <laughs> There's more to it about what this servant is going to do. In fact, what the Lord's going to do. We only talked about half of the chapter. We only talked about half of the story. And I think that's one of the key reasons I wanted to go through the book of Revelation is because we forget that this story is not done yet. Because Jesus has not wrapped it up yet. This is a day of salvation. This is the day of Yeshua. And we've got to respond to Yeshua now in this day. Because it will not always be a day of salvation. There is another day coming. And Jesus, the the Savior, the child, this glorious baby who is the fulfillment of all the promises, he's coming back a second time as a man, as a king, as a warrior. And when he comes the second time, it is not the same way he came the first time. It's different. It's a different way. And it's important to remember that because what we're going to see in the book of Revelation, what we're going to see uh, when I read to you the second half of Isaiah 49, are prophecies yet to be fulfilled for many of them. They're realities of what Jesus is has yet to do, what his work uh, still needs to have accomplished. And he's going to do that one day. And so my encouragement, uh, if you read this, is, uh, excuse me, if you listen to this, if you, if, you, if you are listening to this, that you will, if you are a Christian, that you will write your heart, of course, that you will uh, repent again of whatever you need to repent of and, and bring yourself to the mercy and grace of Jesus, knowing that it is a day of salvation, knowing that, that the second coming Uh, As bloody as it may sound when you read the book of Revelation, when you read these kind of apocalyptic texts in the Old Testament, as scary as it is, it ultimately is a day of salvation for those who believe. It is a day of salvation that will come for for the people of Israel and for all of those of the nations who have seen the light of Revelation and believed in it, the light of Revelation that's to be found in Jesus. Uh, But my prayer is if you're listening to this and you're not a Christian or you haven't uh, committed your life or you're on the fence, uh, that you'll recognize that now is the time to respond because it is the chance for salvation. And we should be humbled. We should be not afraid, but we should be humbled when we read the passages that tell of what Jesus' second coming will be like because we will like it says so often in revelation and in the uh, in the Isaiah texts we will all bow to Jesus and the question is not whether we will bow it's whether we will bow out of submission because we have been conquered or if we will bow because we are willingly bowing and that is a huge difference whether we're doing it of our own free will or if we're doing it because 
we are, are, are conquered. We are a subject people who have been made to bow. We're all going to bow. You just need to decide which way it's going to happen. But as I close tonight, as I, as I wrap things up, I want to read to you the rest of Isaiah 49 to prepare your hearts as we think about the book of Revelation and we're heading that way, to think about the king returning, coming back. That what will be a day of salvation for those who believe for the nation of Israel is for everyone else a day of judgment. Go back to Isaiah 49. I ended in verse 13. But it goes on. And it talks about that day of salvation for Israel and the day of judgment for the rest who have not believed. It says this, But Zion, Zion said to me, Zion is a is a name for Israel. But Zion said to me, The Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. Listen to the Lord's response in verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child? And have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders hurry. Your destroyers and devastators, they will depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All of them gather together. They come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you will surely put on all of them as jewels and bind them on as a bride. He's talking about the nations coming to Zion. For your waste in desolate places, in your destroyed land, surely now you will be too cramped for the inhabitants. And those who swallowed you before will be far away. The children of whom you have been bereaved, those children will yet say in your ears, the place is too cramped for me. Make room for me that I can live here. And then you will say in your heart, who, who has begotten these for me? Who has begotten these for me since I have been bereaved of my children and I am barren, an exile, and a wanderer? Who has reared these? Behold, I was left alone. From where did these come? Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and set up my standard to the peoples. And the peoples of all the nations, they will bring your sons in their bosom. And your daughters will be carried on their shoulders. Kings will be your guardians, Zion. And their princesses will be your nurses. They will bow down to you with their faces to the earth. And they'll lick the dust of your feet. And you will know that I am the Lord. You will know that those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. Can the prey be taken from the mighty man or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? Surely, thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty man will be taken away and the prey of the tyrant will be rescued. For I will contend 
with the one who contends with you, and I will save your sons. I will feed your oppressors with their own flesh, and they will become drunk with their own blood, as with sweet wine. And all flesh will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. As I close tonight, I just wanted to say how much I've enjoyed doing this series on Genesis with you guys. Um, I've loved walking through it. And I think that's an appropriate way to end on that note, the mighty one of Jacob. How mighty the Lord was in Jacob's life, as we saw uh, for all those months walking through Genesis. I hope you'll join us in February. I hope you'll join us in February to hear about the book of Revelation and hear about Jesus, the returning king, and what that means. What that means for judgment, yes. Everyone focuses on the judgment, and that's true. What it will mean for judgment, for judgment of the wicked, for judgment of evil, for judgment of the earth, which it deserves. But also, also for the salvation that will come uh, to the nation of Israel and to all those who have believed, who have seen the light of revelation to the Gentiles. That Simeon talked about when Jesus was just a boy. It's just a child, just an infant. For those of us who believe, the day of judgment is a day of salvation because Jesus is bringing to completion all the promises. And he is casting evil itself out of creation so that life will be perfect. It will be holy. And of course, that is the vision of of the end of Revelation. Revelation chapters 21 and 22. What that new world, what that new heavens, new earth will look like. And that's the day we await. That's why we claim, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's why that has been so significant to the church for all these thousands of years. Is that when he comes, things will be made right. So I hope you'll join us as we get ready to study the book of Revelation. I'm, I'm excited for these next weeks also. I will uh, be around, of course, uh, but I'm not going to be preaching. We're going to do some cool nights. We're going to do a prayer night and a worship night and a, a night where we share a meal together and some uh, other special things. So I hope you'll join us. Uh, like I said, I will be there, um, but I will not be preaching. And I'm going to take this time, reflect on the book of Revelation and uh, look forward to going from the beginning to the end. From the book of Genesis that we just went all the way through. That told us what the promises were. And where they came from. To see the book of Revelation and how Jesus is going to bring all the promises to pass. And I hope you remember today as we think about Christmas. We think about uh, the power of remembering what, what Jesus was doing by becoming human. And I pray you too will remember that it is a, a day of rejoicing, a day of great news, a day of, of hope, uh, because these are the days of salvation.
And until Jesus returns, uh, may all men, may all people come to know that they that today is a day of salvation, that they can be saved uh, by the power and, and name and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and that the Lord himself will come to dwell with them and in them by the power of his Spirit. Let's continue to spread that good news, the good news that has been present with us ever since the days of Simeon, when he proclaimed those words. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the chance to, to think about your word tonight and to ponder it. God, I just pray that we would share that message, share the message of good news, and that we would share the truths that Simeon spoke of, that Isaiah spoke of, that you, Lord, when you sent your son, you sent him to be a light of revelation to the nations, to the Gentiles. And you sent him as the glory of your people, Israel. May those truths spread far and wide across this world. And may many come to accept the salvation that is found, the Yeshua that is found in Jesus. Amen.